And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Wednesday edition. It's the hot day edition of The Real Investment Show, of course, with Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Uh, talking about 2023. Uh, yesterday, if you missed it, we did our economic outlook. We answered a whole bunch of questions for an hour uh, from viewers who were asking everything about you know, about everything from gold to bonds to the market outlook to you know what's going to happen next year. Uh, that replay will be up on our website in the next day or so. Brent's just going through his magical editing down to. Get, get that all worked out. But we'll have that up on our website, on the main page, realinvestmentadvice.com, so you can download that, watch that. Again, we answered, uh, again, the whole hour was nothing but just answering uh, viewer questions. So again, a lot of the stuff that you're probably interested in, we covered that yesterday. And don't worry, we'll be doing that again soon, um, next year. So once we get to the new year, we'll do like a year preview. So we'll talk about what we expect then. But, you know, that's going to be the big topic for today, of course, is, you know, discussing what 2023, you know, might have in store for us a little bit. And, and is there a big surprise? You know, and it's interesting because right now everybody's super negative and that's okay, right? The, everybody's very, very bearish. The problem is there's nobody who's bullish. And from a contrarian investment standpoint, typically that turns out to be the time that, you know, and this is something we discussed yesterday, that's the time maybe you want to start looking to buy stocks. I know that's hard to imagine right now. It's like, oh, there's a recession coming. There's all this. Yeah, maybe. And as we've talked about before, there's no guarantees that anything will happen exactly the way that we think. And generally, when everybody thinks, this is Bob Farrell's rule, um, you know, investment rule, which is that when all experts agree, something else tends to happen. Well, right now, everybody expects there to be a recession next year. Now, again, it's hard to imagine that you wouldn't have one giving the Fed hiking rates at the most aggressive pace in history and, and you know, weaker economic growth and, you know, all these type of things, right? But, again, when most people expect something to happen, something else tends to occur. And that's just the way markets work. Markets always tend to do exactly the opposite of what you think they're going to do. Okay, but we'll get into that this morning. Uh, this morning we have earnings coming out, of course, and then uh, retail sales. That's going to be the big kind of data this morning. Uh, expect retail sales to be a little bit better than expected, possibly coming in around 1% to 1.1%. And why, pray tell, will retail sales be better? Uh, that's because of California STEMI checks. Uh, don't forget that just recently California passed, you know, passed a, a, a stimulus check program to help, help consumers in California out with their gas costs because, you know, oil and gas in, in uh, California cost you a whole lot. It's like over $6 a gallon for gasoline. They all needed a little bit of help from the government, so the government sent them checks. Of course, every time you do this, two things occur. One, yes, you get to pick up in spending because people don't save money. They spend money. Particularly if you give them free money, they're really going to spend that. Uh, second thing is, is that also helps support inflation. <laughs> so, um, you know, this may help, you know, keep inflation hanging around here a little bit higher level for longer, especially on the core PC, uh, core services side. But um, anyway, nonetheless, the stimulus checks in California, big surge in spending um, last month uh, due to that. Also, remember, 
This is the data for October, which of course that includes Halloween, which is one of the second biggest shopping days of the year. So it won't be surprising to see a little bit better than expected retail sales today. That should potentially um, help markets theoretically, right? Because it shows the consumer is still strong. But on the other side of that, consumer spending very strong is also something the Fed's trying to curtail. We need less demand in the economy to bring down inflation. So if the number comes in too strong, uh, that might actually spook markets here a little bit, thinking the Fed will remain aggressive at this point uh, because of the risk of higher inflation. So again, it's going to be one of those double-edged swords this morning. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like Goldilocks, right? It can't be too hot. It can't be too cold. It's got to be just right on that retail sales number uh, for the markets to respond positively. Um, outside of that, um, also, you know, when you start thinking about retail sales, where's the money coming from for these retail sales? That showed up in the credit card survey report out yesterday. Big surge in credit card spending. Again, uh, consumers turning to, turning to debt, short-term debt, credit card debt, in order to make, make ends meet, buy things, those type of stuff. So not, again, not surprising with Halloween. Everybody wanted to dress up and decorate and buy candy. Uh, candy, of course, very expensive for Halloween. All went onto the credit card. So we, we saw a big surge last month in credit card debt. Again, not surprising um, as consumers con you know, continue. There's, there's no savings for the bottom 90% of the population. Um, savings, are run savings rates are dropping to below pre-pandemic levels. So again, if I've got to make ends meet, where do I got to go? I got to go to credit card debt. Now the question will become ultimately is when we begin to see consumers getting tapped out on credit. In other words, there's a point to where banks are going to go, Brent, you know, quit asking for more credit card debt. We're not going to give you any more credit cards, right? You, you're completely maxed out. And there is that point. There is a point to where credit will become unavailable uh, because when you go to apply for a credit card, your debt to income ratios simply just don't line up. And this is interesting, right? I'm, see, I'm hearing a lot of, of commercials on you know, the radio as of late, television too, for mortgage companies saying, hey, this is a great time to take the equity out of your house and pay off that credit card debt. Now, that's an awesome idea, right? Um, mortgage companies need to, nobody wants to get a mortgage right now because of where mortgage rates are. So nobody's gonna refinance their current mortgage into a higher rate, that's ridiculous. So the only way to really do anything on the mortgage side of the ledger is to get people to cash out the equity in their house, take out a home equity loan in order to do something else with, right? Go on that vacation, pay for college, or pay off that high interest credit card debt. Now, in theory, this is a great idea. Right? I can take 18, 19% credit card debt, swap that out for say seven, seven and a half percent mortgage debt on my house. That's great. I extract the equity from my house. I now lower my, uh, lower my interest rate on my credit cards, pay those off. But the problem is, is the consumers do this and then do what? Turn right around and run the credit card debt right back up again. So now they've got the mortgage debt on their house plus they wind up running back up their credit card debt. So again, if you want to do that, if you want to take out a, a home equity loan on your house and pay off your credit card debt, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you cannot go back into credit card debt. You've got to cut all your credit cards up and you're done on credit cards until you pay off that loan on the house. You're just shifting the balance. So you can't go back and run out credit card debt all over again. But this is not what most people do. 
they wind up with even more debt. And this is why we have such an indebt, uh, such a debt problem in the country and why when you start talking about debt to income ratios and those type of things, you see these debt to income ratios like, oh, the consumer household balance sheet's very healthy. No, it's not. It is only healthy in the top 10% of income earners that have no debt and lots of savings. Everybody else is struggling with a lot of debt and no savings. The average person, we talked about this before, 65% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. The average household basically has less than $500 worth of savings in the bank to meet an emergency. That is not a, he a healthy household balance sheet. And when we get into next year, that's where those cracks in the foundation that we've been talking about for a while are really potentially gonna show up. But again, as I said, you know, there's certainly lots of evidence that we'll have a recession next year, or at least should have one. But again, don't invest that way. And this was one of the key points yesterday is that you've got to manage the risk in your portfolio to invest in whatever market comes and betting that something's going to happen tends to not work out as well as you think. All right, quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about 2023 with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. Students, student scores have fallen on education tests ever since the switch to online learning. Who would have thought that was going to happen? I can tell you, with four kids in the house all doing this online thing, you didn't have much, you didn't have to do a whole lot of that, right? You're, were your kids doing a lot of online? Yeah, Danny? we were doing it. Danny's here, by the way. Hi, hey Danny. Guys. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all? <laughs> so, did you have a lot of? I mean, because my kids were, you know, in high school, basically. So no. So our problem with the online was that our kids are so young. You literally had to like hold their hand through it all because, you know, after a while they start teaching you how to use the computer, but yeah. it, it took a minute. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's in, in my house, it was, you know, they've got one laptop with, you know, their online learning and then they're doing 12 other things at the same time. Right. Yeah. So they're on their phone or whatever. We didn't and, have that problem. And, and, well, and, and my son was creating an online business at home by taking everybody's physics exams and getting paid for that. I didn't find I didn't. And the way I found out about that was, is I got a call. So my son's whip smart, um, super book smart, dumb as a rock when it comes to common sense. But I love I love you, Tommy, if you're listening this morning. Um but anyway, so he's he's super he's like super smart. He doesn't have to study. He just he looks at something one time and he's got it. And so he, he's so people were paying him twenty bucks to take their physics exams for him. And 
I get a call from the principal at the school, and he's like, uh, Mr. Roberts, uh, we're going to have to suspend your son for three days because he was caught cheating on his physics exam. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, your, your son was caught cheating. I go, that's impossible. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't cheat. He knows better. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to, right? And, and like, well, he did. You know, the way we know is, is that we give out randomized tests, and he turned in a test with his name on it that was the same as this other kid's, whose name happened to be Thomas. Um, so it turns out I go confront my son with it and, and he's like, he says, I can't believe I did that. He says, I took the test for Thomas and I actually turned his in. I thought oh, it was no. mine and turned it in. And anyway, so, so for this, he's, so he makes 20 bucks a test. He wound up spending 30 hours in detention over this. Oh, wow. Which was partly my doing. I talked to the principal. I was like, I need a really long detention sentence for this. <laughs> Now, my son doesn't know that, but... Yeah, he may now. He may now, but anyway, that's what happens with online learning, right? We were just trying to teach our kids to read at this point, like, okay, here's yeah. what this means. I mean, I think we were like second grade and kindergarten and pre-K, so... Yeah, I know. Well, my wife and I just, you know, we encode messages at our house that we leave for each other. We just write in cursive, so... There you go. <laughs> So anyway, but yeah, online test scores uh, have fallen sharply over the last two years due to pandemic. And of course, everybody's going, oh, it's all the pandemic. That's why kids are having, you know, learning problems. No, there's a lot of other problems. Also has to do with what you're teaching kids um, as well. But that's a different story for a different day. Anyway, morning, Danny. How are you? I'm doing great. You? You're doing well. Um, so yesterday we did our economic kind of outlook for the year, answered a bunch of questions. Kind of what was your takeaway yesterday? You know, I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty and people are concerned and, you know, rightfully so. I mean, when you look at the numbers, you know, just right now, somebody just wrote in TK said on YouTube, hey, does Amazon letting go 10,000 people before Christmas portend a recession? No. But it doesn't look good, right? I mean, you have FedEx laying people off. You have all these companies. And, you know, I, I think that people are beginning to come, become a little bit more concerned. I mean, markets have been really good. So it's it's interesting because from week to week, I think people's uh, behaviors, their perceptions mm -hmm. changes. And so it's it's difficult to navigate in this environment where, you know, we have a really good week last week. I mean, a great week. And hey, we got to be in people who want to be out or, you know, they're now they're a lot more anxious to put more money to work. <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, this probably a time that maybe we need to start, you know, taking right. a little bit back off. But, you know, I, I think that there's some good things that are coming, right? We, we see that we're gonna have gridlock in the political spectrum, which is going to be great from a financial planning perspective. We're going to get a little bit more leeway potentially where we've had to, you know, planning year to year has become pretty difficult. Um, markets, obviously, I think are the biggest concern at the moment where we've had anywhere between a 15 to 30% drop in just the last month and a half, two months. And people just don't know where to go from here. And, you know, now we're hearing rumblings that, okay, we're actually going to be in a longer recession or get into a recession here in 2023. What does that mean? And what should people do? You know, we've had everything from I have too much cash, need to put funds to work from I'm still 100 percent invested. How do I get to more cash? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, every question you can think of, it, it's all over the spectrum at the moment. And, you know, I think that that's why we try to do these things. So if you didn't, didn't get a chance to attend yesterday, you can go to the YouTube channel. Brent, is that up yet? Uh, we're going to we're going to post it on the front page of our Perfect. website. So if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com. It'll be right there on the front page. Perfect. So just an hour. So we do these candid coffees and it's really, it was designed during the pandemic actually because we couldn't get in front of people and it was kind of just like office hours and say, hey guys, just random fire. Give us some questions you have. 
And a lot of people probably have very similar questions. So that's what we were doing these for. We're going to continue doing these here in 2023. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know, Lance, what did you take? What was your biggest takeaway? Um, basically, you know, it's it's the interesting side. It's, it's about psychology, right? Yeah. And and as you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by human psychology and human behavior. And it's a function of, of managing money, right? I mean, this is what happens after 30 years of managing money is that you become really a student of investor behavior. And look, we all make, we all, we all are, I'll spit that out. We are all subject to emotional biases, right? And mm -hmm. this is the thing. And look, even, even now, I mean, you know, our, you know, after 35 years of, of doing this and Mike's been doing this for 30 years and Nick's been doing this for about four months because he just, you know, became a teenager. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> He's very young. Anybody below 40 is a kid to me. So just there. Anyway, Danny, almost out of diapers. So, um, but, yeah. you know, the, the point here is that, you know, we're all subject to these emotional biases. The, the trick to managing money is being able to set those aside and say, hey, I know what my gut's telling me, but this is what the, the, the this is what the technicals are. This is what the fundamentals are. And the one thing that we've always got to remember, and this was the big takeaway from yesterday, everybody's bearish, right? Everybody's a recession's coming, the world's coming to an end, I'm all in cash and, and you know, this type of thing. Maybe you're right. Maybe that's possibly correct. And there's certainly, as I was saying just a moment ago at the, at the open, right? You know, Fed's hiking interest rates, most aggressive rate hike in history. Um, we've got layoffs. And, and, and so clearly we're going to have a recession next year. The problem is, is that markets have never predicted a recession ever, right? This will be the first year. If we have a recession next year, this will be the first year on record where you have a accurate prediction of a recession. And now I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I'm just saying that historically, when the market expects something to happen, something different occurs. And so that's why as investors, we have to be aware that our psychology tends to be wrong, particularly the herd tends to be wrong at turning points in the markets. And, and again, you take a look at the negative sentiment in the markets now. Every there's I can't find anybody that's bullish, right? I mean, you know, even Jim Cramer is maybe a little bit bullish, but you know, he's not even all that bullish. So, you know, you know, these are the things we got to be careful of. What happens if is the things we need to think about. If we're 100% cash in our portfolio or 90% cash whatever, what happens if the market takes off running? Are you going to be able to get back into the markets? If you're 100% equity and the market begins to crash further from here, what are you going to do, right? These are the things that you have to think about and have a plan for, particularly as we move into next year, because there's no guarantee how next year is going to work out. No, that's exactly right. I think that it's interesting because people are so matter of fact. Okay, we have layoffs. This means we're in a recession, right? right? Or, you know, this is happening, so now we need to do this where I think you need to look at both sides of the coin. And that's one of the things that I think we've learned and, and I've learned over the years is that you can't have a, a strategy for just one direction. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to have one for both and having that discipline, I think that really helps kind of keep you balanced and, and taking a more fair approach to it versus saying, all right, you know, we're going to be in the bunker. Well, guess what? We know a lot of firms that are in the bunker. They've been in the bunker for many years and they're going to stay there. And someday they're going to do fantastic. <laughs> but and vice versa, right? You get the other guys that are just 100% yeah. bullish. The problem is that the math of loss does not work in your favor if you're always on that side. Yeah. Well, let's talk about layoffs here real quick, right? So Amazon's announced 10,000 layoffs. Um, Facebook, Meta, whatever they want to call their names, Zuckerland, um, he's laying off 11,000 employees. We can go down the list, right? Yeah. 
a lot of tech companies laying off employees. But now let's talk about Amazon for a moment. They're laying off 10,000 employees. They have 1.3 million employees, maybe 1.4, closer to 1.4. So 10,000 is not that big of a number relative to their total employment. And really what they're laying off is, is a lot of the overhiring they did because of 2020, 2021, when we had this economic shutdown, we had all this demand because of stimulus checks. So a lot of these layoffs that we're seeing, yes, we're getting layoffs, which we would expect to have as the economy slows down. But a lot of this hiring is just excess hiring where they overhired people during the pandemic and they're kind of trimming back to what their normal run of employment is. Now, what you're looking for is, of course, more important sectors of the economy that suggest that the economy is really starting to decline, right? Um, you're not seeing layoffs from companies like Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, right? They're not laying off workers. You're not seeing workers. Yeah, but they already did. I mean, that's the kicker, right? Well, they they laid them off in 2020, right? Correct. But and so they're they're actually hiring back. Here's my point, though. Look at we can't look at just one sector of the economy and say that says they're laying off people. And this and most of the layoffs right now are in the tech sector. And I'm going to get to FedEx and Maersk here in a second, but just follow me through. Yep. Um, you want to also be looking at the other sectors of the economy, the industrial sector, the, you know, the material sector, those type of, uh, you know, kind of the manufacturing side of, of the economy. You remember back in 2012, we had a recession in 2012. It was never classified as a recession because it was only in the manufacturing sector of the economy. The services side was killing it and doing great. Right. So we never had a recession. Right now, we've got a recession going on in the services side, the tech industry, right? But not necessarily in the manufacturing side of the industry. But, you know, FedEx is, you know, potentially going to lay off, or they are laying off workers, you know, as the economy demand slows down. Supply chains are coming back into balance. We're starting to see that. Maersk showing um, a, a decline in ships. Uh, the LA port just said they had the slowest rate of ships coming into their port since 2009. Certainly some indications are some slowing down, right? But we haven't got there just yet. We'll talk some more about this on the other side of break. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So welcome back to the show this morning. It's the Real Investment Show. Danny Ratliff joining us. Just to wrap up here on layoffs, uh, you know, the point here is with layoffs is that what you're looking for is a very broad swath of layoffs across the country. In other words, all, you know, basically all sectors of the economy starting to lay off employees and laying off substantial numbers of employees, right? That's what shows you, their, you know, that businesses are contracting. Um, right now, we had a lot of hiring, right? Um, you had a lot of truck drivers, as an example. You had a lot of truck drivers hired 
because there was a shortage of truck drivers. And now that demand is starting to slow down, there's an excess number of truck drivers, so you, you have to fire some. Um, same way with shipping, same way with Federal Express. They, you know, there was all this demand to ship products, so they hired a bunch of workers to ship this demand. That demand is now slowing because we have a slower economic environment, and the supply chain imbalances are now coming back in, into balance. And this is why you're starting to see inventory builds at Target and Walmart and others. And now they're trying to lick the Amazon Prime, you know, recently having two prime days to try to get rid of excess inventory. So as the economy slows down, those excess employees are getting fired. But that doesn't mean that they are actually contracting their employment in terms of recessionary drag. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to have a recession. Don't 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 run off and say, oh, Lance says there's no recession coming. I'm not saying that. We just have to remember there is a they there was a rush to hire a lot of people because of all the stimulus checks and the shutdown of the economy. Now things are kind of coming back into balance of, of the supply demand imbalance. That's coming back into balance. So excesses are getting reduced. Now, if the economy continues to slow down next year, yes, we're going to have more layoffs. And once we start seeing consistent layoffs across companies, that's going to be your real indicator that we're in a recession. And that occurs Again, we won't know we're in a recession until after the fact. But when you see re when you see layoffs really starting to spike higher, starting to see the unemployment rate spike higher, start to watch the labor force participation rate drop, that's when you're going to be in the recession. That's the thing you're going to really be looking for on that employment side of the data. Well, and that's that's one thing, though, that I think that that's why it's so important to follow some technicals. Yeah. And understand that, hey, it's time to take chips off the table. It's time to add a little bit. But don't do all or nothing because that's when you get in trouble. Because think about how many times, what, in June um, and then, what, at the end of September? End of September, everybody's saying, get me out. Yeah. I went all the way out. And then you missed out on a 17% run or a 14% run. I mean, that's pretty significant. Yeah. And to be all the way in cash and watch that, you're just locking in those gains or, or losses at that point. Yeah. Well, and again, this is, you know, I wrote an article, um, you know, right at the end of September called, you know, a big short squeeze is coming yep. because everybody was so bearish, right? It was just everywhere you looked, you had uber bearishness. And that's a great setup. When we said, had said the same thing back in June that we were so bearish. I was on Fox Business with Charles Paynes a couple of times saying, hey, we're about to have a rally here because everybody's bearish, right? The, the sentiment is so negative. It's got nowhere to go but up. Now we're starting to get back to the other side of that. Everybody's starting to, as Danny, like you said, when we start getting phone calls like, hey, get me in, that's generally the time we want to start selling. <laughs> so, yep. and, and, and we've been selling for the last couple of days, right? Taking a little bit of profit, reducing equity exposure again, raising cash, um, because we probably there's probably some upside left in this market right now um, through the end of the year for a variety of reasons, but there's probably not a lot left. Um, so, you know, you don't have to wait until you don't try to you don't try to pick the exact top to sell. That's where you get on the wrong side of the trade because this market can move very fast. As as you saw last week, you know you get a five and a half percent move in one day. If you're not in, you missed it, right? It's you know, and this is why we always maintain some equity exposure in our portfolio because when you have these big five and a half percent up days, it can do a lot for the portfolio, and then you can say, okay, I'm going to take that. I'm going to reduce some risk and rebalance and raise some cash. And then on the next decline, buy some more. And that's what we've kind of been doing all year right now. Yeah, so what do you think about 2023 earnings? I mean, we're looking at the consensus earnings are still relatively high compared to where things are, right? I mean, And margins. Yeah, corporate margins are, are still very elevated here. So um, margins and earnings both have to decline next year. 
which also means that theoretically prices have to decline because valuations are at 23, 24 times earnings. So if earnings decline, if the E declines in the P-E ratio uh, and price doesn't decline, then you're going to have 30 times P-E, right? I mean, valuations are get very, very high. Uh, so the P and the E have to come down. And more importantly, margins are going to be the big issue. Um, one of the reasons that we've got record corporate profit margins is because of the shutdown. We shut down the economy, so everybody laid off workers, and then there's all this artificial demand from stimulus checks, so everybody boosted prices, but they didn't hire back a bunch of employees, so profit margins got really fat for companies uh, in 2020 and 2021. We we wrote a couple articles about this. Now, the problem is that in order for valuations to stay where they are, corporate profit margins cannot mean revert. But corporate profit margins will mean revert. They just simply cannot remain at this level because we've now hired back employees. Inflation's declining. Demand is declining. So profit margins have to fall. And we're, we're seeing this uh, in, in, in several different indicators. Um, but those profit margins are going to have to come down. And that's going to that's gonna weigh on asset prices next year. Now, it doesn't mean you've got to have another 30% decline in asset prices. It could just mean the market does nothing next year. Um, a lot of flopping around like a fish out of water, as Gary Shandling used to say. Um, you know, you know that joke, right? <laughs> Danny doesn't. He's a, Dan, do you even know who Gary Shandling is? No. Okay, first of all, you need to go YouTube Gary Shandling. <laughs> Gary Shandling once said that he said sex is like a fish out of water. There's a lot of flopping around and gasping for air. Um, so, go look up Gary Shandling. Great comedian. Anyway, right, I can handle that. Yeah, he's actually uh, it's, it's old timer humor um anyway the the issue is is that as you know the the economy slows down these margins will have to fall so you know uh, but again that does that doesn't mean that stocks have to decline another 20 percent. they could be down another five percent another ten percent sure absolutely but you've already wrung out a lot of this bear market over the last year just as grind uh, a lot of stocks are down 60 70 80 percent already valuations have come down a lot on on stocks and again, when you look at indexes, that's one thing. Look at individual stocks when you're buying them in your portfolio because those there's a lot of individual stocks in the index that already are trading at very deep discounted valuations, and, and those opportunities aren't going to last forever. Well, you know, that's a really good point, too, because we did get some questions on, you know, should, should I be investing on, you know, in ETFs or individual stocks when right. we did our, our can of coffee yesterday? And so I think that's one we didn't really address very much because we just had so many questions come in. But that's a really good point in the sense that you can find a lot of good companies that are significantly discounted, or you can go buy the index. Which would you rather have? Yeah. Well, and again, it doesn't mean that you could buy a value stock, and it doesn't mean that it won't go down some more if the market declines another 20%. It doesn't mean that value stocks won't go down some, yep. um, but most likely they won't go down a lot. And a lot of these stocks are yielding four, five, six, seven percent dividend yields right now. So you get paid while you wait to work through whatever remains, you know, in this market environment until we get. And look, the good news is, is that we're getting through this bearish cycle and we'll get to the next bullish cycle. The, the question is just, is it next year, the year after, the year after that? I don't know. But eventually we'll get through this. We'll get valuations reverted back to some normality. The Federal Reserve will go back to doing QE and zero interest rates, and we'll start the next bull cycle. Um, but you're just going to have to grind your way through here until we get there. Well, and, you know, we keep talking about the 2023 recession and, and what's looming ahead. 
I think it's really good to put this in perspective in the sense that, okay, what if we what if we are in it to a bigger slowdown? That doesn't mean the market's going to be terrible all year. Right. I mean, we may start the year off slow, especially if we continue to see some follow through with this rally here to the end of the year, which is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit overextended. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we would. Yeah. So at some point, you'd like to see chips come off the table. But I think that, you know, looking at the bigger picture here can really be good in the sense that this may be that one buying opportunity you've been waiting for, especially if you've been in cash, you have funds to put to work, start putting funds in. We're not the biggest fans of dollar cost averaging just because of the way that it works. But if you can follow some technicals and understand when to put funds back to work or find some really good deals, that's the key. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, think about this year, right, uh, as a good example. You know, a lot of people are talking about this, the, the market's going to decline another 10%, another 20%, whatever the number is, pick a number. Yeah. So go back to June. And everybody was really terrible at that point, right? We're down 20% in the market for the year. Markets, everybody's negative, world's coming to an end. Then the market rallies 18%, 17, 18%. And then it declines 20%. And it gets back down to where we were previously with a 20% decline. So, you know, we really haven't gone anywhere this year. There's just been a lot of volatility. And so when somebody tells you, so if, if the market rallies through the end of the year, and let's say we get up towards 4,100-ish, right? So, you know, then the market declines 10% from there. Well, that's 410 points on 4,100, right? So it puts you right back down to around 3,600. So it's kind of where we were. So, you know, these declines are coming after advances. And, yes, the declines feel terrible, they, they, they are certainly stressful, but, you know, when people start throwing out these numbers like the market's going to decline 16%, and I just read an article yesterday, so I want to bring it up. The guy, this analyst says, market's going to decline 16%. Great. Okay. Puts you about back where you were, you know, uh, at the end of September, maybe a little bit lower. But, but again, you know, these are the things you have to remember is that these intra, these bear market rallies alleviate some of that downside destruction. And as you're grinding through this market and grinding down these valuations and prices and stocks, it's providing some really good opportunities. So be careful. The whole point is just be careful looking at an index and making your entire investment thesis based on what an index is doing versus what's happening inside the index, which can be entirely different stories. Be right back after the break. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
So my wife is traveling this week. She's in Washington, D.C. Um, so, of course, Yellowstone premiered, and I can't watch it till she gets home. So don't tell me. Don't send me emails telling me what happened. I know John Dutton becomes governor of the state. I know that part, right? That's just the whole premise. But don't tell me what happened. Yellowstone season five premiere breaks ratings record with 12.1 million viewers. CNN's new morning show with Don Lemon got 400,000. So (laughs) just saying what people want to watch. People want to watch Yellowstone. And it's not even filmed in Yellowstone, folks. It's in Utah. (laughs) So, Hey, Brent, wasn't it pretty funny when... Oh, Lance's yeah, yeah. face lit up. He's like, I was like don't you, you don't even watch Yellowstone. <laughs> Have you even watched any of the episodes? Of we actually did watch this one, yeah. You watched the, the season premiere? Mm-hmm. Have you watched any of the previous seasons? We have. We, we don't watch much TV at all, but we actually have watched that. Yeah. I mean, they, they were like We watched Little to None. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they, were, they were interviewing the girl. She's British. I can't think of her name off the top of my head, so forgive it me. It freaks but, you out every time she starts speaking and, you know, like her, her accent. Her accent, right? But she's British, and she plays Beth Dutton. And she's this very wily, aggressive, hard-hitting lawyer that works for the family. And, of course, some of the best lines in the entire show come from her. And they were interviewing her the other day, and, she, and she's talking about, it's like, that's not my personality. Um, I had to work. Taylor Sheridan's the producer of the show, and he's the one that writes. And and she worked with him for a very long time trying to get her character worked out to where she's this mouthy, aggressive, strong, you know, female archetype in in the uh, in the series. But that's my wife's favorite character, obviously. Yeah. So my wife tries to emulate her all the time. And so if you watch it, you'll know where my wife gets her personality. So. This is why Lance is allowed to go go home, go to the office. Go that's home, that's all office. I do. That is all I do. In the gym. That's yeah. it. So I have to defend myself. Um, anyway. <laughs> Against your wife? <laughs> She's, she scares me. Hey, mine too. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, midterm elections now behind us. That means that, of course... Uh, Right now, I'm looking at uh, one of our monitors. Needed to control the House is 218. 217 are, of the seats are controlled by Republicans, 207 by the House. Uh, there's still nine, nine races outstanding uh, that will come in. So the, the, the margin of majority in the House of Representatives will be very slim. Um, right now, there is um, a 50 uh, Seat Democrat lead over 49 Republicans uh, for the Senate with one race in Georgia still pending. Uh, That's the Herschel Walker. um, Name escapes me, his his opponent. I'm sorry. Anyway, the Herschel Walker race in in uh, uh, Georgia, that will be the deciding seat. So if that if it does go to Herschel Walker, that'll give the Republicans 50 seats. Of course, Senate's then controlled by the Democrats because Kamala Harris as vice president acts as the tiebreaker vote. So what does that mean for taxes in a gridlock Congress? That's the big question, right? Because as you start looking forward, obviously, if if Democrats had held both House and Senate, 
uh, in this election process that would open up the door again. You know, now remember over the last two years, lots of talk and, and Danny and I and Richard all had lots of conversations with people over the last couple of years because there was one attempt after another to pass higher taxes on the wealthy, which if you're listening to a financial talk show at 651 in the morning, you're probably in that bracket. Um, so taxes would affect you. Now, the issue becomes, of course, now with a, a divided house that or a divided Senate and, and House, that's going to keep the risk of higher taxes uh, potentially off the table. So what does that mean for planning purposes um, right now, Danny, as you start to think about 2023 and, and you know, IRA, uh, you know, Roth IRA conversions and those type of things? Does that remove any of that need? Well, no, I don't think it removes the need. I think it certainly it. it it just delays it a little bit where if, if we would have found out that there was not a divide or the Democrats would have won the House and the Senate, I think we'd be a lot more prone to say, hey, we need to be a little bit more aggressive right now. We do know what they've tried to do this last year in the, in the sense of raising taxes, raising uh, or reducing the estate tax um, number as far as what's exempt. I mean, there's so many little things that they were doing that were going to potentially really impact a lot of people. And they've talked about it. They This isn't something that they didn't campaign or talk about. They've been talking about raising taxes. At some point, they're they're going to do it. And look, it's a function of math. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on. This will have to be done. But I think we're going to have a couple years now. This current tax code, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that was enacted here in 2017, I think we're going to get this. Uh, you know, that sunsets in 2025, at the end of 2025. So we step into 2026. Everything's going to revert back. We're going to see an estate tax is going to be half of what it is today. Um, you know, we can right now, there's a lot of people. You know, we deal with a lot of people who are, who are wealthy in many different ways. I mean, we see a lot of people who own own a lot of land where on paper you'd look at these people and say, wow, these guys are, you know, they've got a lot of money. Well, they may not have a lot of money that, that's at their hands right now. And essentially, you could see that the property's liquidated, companies liquidated. They're talking about doing a step up or reducing a step up in cost basis, increasing the estate tax. Uh, currently, the estate tax for 2023 is going to be $12.92 million per person. So that's that's quite a bit, right? There's not a whole lot of people that are over that number. But for those of you that are, you need to be doing some planning. Now that number's cut in half, that's going to be a significant problem that I think people are going to have to face, Lance. And so this gives us a little bit longer. This gives us, you know, three, four years here that we're going to be able to have to uh, to work with this. So we've got 23, 24, and 25. So I guess three years. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's going to be one of the... Um, the bigger things people will be looking at. But, you know, another one that I think that a lot of people don't even realize is capital gains tax. You know, right now you can be at the 0% tax rate if you make under $83,350. So you may be selling stocks this year at a gain, but if you made $60,000 and you take, uh, you know, after, after your standard deduction or itemized deductions, and you take a $20,000 gain, that's at 0%. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a bad thing. And I think that people, uh, they're not as aware of that as they should be. And so, you know, understanding how the tax brackets work, how capital gains taxes work, that's something that's really important. Now, we talk about tax loss harvesting. We've been talking about it quite a bit here towards the end of the year. Something that, you know, this time of year comes around. We're always looking for opportunities. Last year didn't have a whole lot of them. This year have quite a bit more. Uh, that, that we could work with. But sometimes, you know, it's just from an investment standpoint, we need to make shifts and changes. And hey, this investment didn't work. It's time to get out. Let's try something else. Try something similar. Um, you know, those are, are things I think that people should be looking at right now. 
Another um, thing that we've had a lot of clients do, especially if you've had a big year, uh, we do have a lot of clients who've been laid off or who've retired early. They've received large pensions or large payouts. Um, this is a time that if you're charitably inclined, you should start looking at bunching or bundling. You know, so just to give you a real easy, quick example, let's say that you donate $10,000 to the animal shelter or your church every single year. And um, instead of doing it, you know, each year, 10,000, you can actually get a tax break right now, put it into a donor advised fund, um, you know, and still, or a private charitable foundation, still get the tax break for this year and say, let's say over the next five years, you want to give those funds out, but you want to put 50,000 aside right now. You get that $50,000 break, which is a really nice aspect or something that you should be considering if you've had a really, uh, you know, a really nice year from an income perspective. And so these are little tips that we're seeing a lot of people do, but I think with what the midterms election have done, especially, you know, you mentioned the Roth conversion, Lance, instead of, we had some people who said, look, here's what we, we think you want to do. But if, if November goes like this, we're going to go ahead and do it all because we know who knows what 23 is going to bring. Yeah. But if we get a split or it goes one way, then, you know, I think we have a little bit more bandwidth here where we can do a little bit at a time, a little bit, you know, over the next couple of years and not have as big of a concern. Now, does that mean that nothing can happen? They, there's no way they can raise taxes? Absolutely not. They certainly could. But we just want to be able, you know, try to make the best uh, moves now to keep more money in your pocket out of Uncle Sam's. And that's going to be the key because taxes are coming. It's not if, it's just when and, and how high will they go. I mean, that's anybody's guess. Yeah. You know, we're doing a lot of hypotheticals. Yeah. You know where else you can bundle? What's that? Progressive insurance. Progressive you can, insurance. You can, you can bundle. How long have you been waiting for that one? <laughs> I was waiting that whole segment. I know. I know. You know, I was also thinking about, you know, Danny and his wife. You know, Danny subscribes to the happy wife, happy life motto. Oh, no he doubt. He takes her flowers. Sure. All that. I, I subscribe to the moderately ir irritated, amusing why a life. So, you know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty irritating, I'm sure. To <laughs> Interesting comparison, life expectancy of those two theories. Yes, uh, much shorter. And that's true. why I have a good insurance policy. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting, uh, just a few moments ago while we were talking, NASA launched the Artemis rocket um, into space. And what's interesting is, is so if all goes well, Ar so that's Artemis 1 that they've now launched into, into orbit. Um, if all goes well, this is a, a line from the statement, if all goes well, Artemis 2 mission could propel four astronauts for a flyby mission around the moon in 2024. Then by 2025, Artemis 3 uh, would allow for the first crew moon landing on the moon. Now, see, this is an interesting statement, right? I know, and you're looking at me funny because I'm about to I'm about to explain why Danny's looking at me funny. See, this is the problem when there's a big gap in history, and you lose you know you lose a lot of the geniuses that we've had. You know, they've 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 gotten old, they've died off, etc. They've left NASA to go do other things or you know go to a grave. Um, We've done this before. <laughs> it was called the Apollo missions, the Mercury missions. We we sent people to the moon already, and they did it with the memory of a TI calculator and lots of slide rolls. And now we have all this computer technology, and we're having to recreate the wheel all over again because of this long gap in history. We've now got to go through those same steps all over again into orbit, fly by the moon, eventually land on the moon. Again, that wraps up the show for the day. <laughs> and as we get older, Danny will eventually replace us, Brent. Oh, man. And he'll have to learn this all over again. <laughs>
Get by the website. The um, economic outlook for 2023 will be up on the website uh, next uh, today, tomorrow. This week. This week. It'll be up this week. So just cruise by Real Investment Show. We'll let you know when it's up. Realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.